Hello, this is Matt Hale on with Art Monthly on Resonance Radio 104.4 FM. And I'm joined today by Dean Kenning, who is a Contemporary Art Research Fellow at Kingston University. And I'm also joined by Cherry Smith, who is a critic, curator and poet. Hello, both of you. Hello. Hello. OK, now, um, first of all, Cherry, you wrote a review about a show at the Whitechapel Gallery by Rachel Harrison, which is still on as we speak and ends quite soon. So those of you who are listening could dash quickly after the show and go and see it this weekend. Um, but it was um, it was of Rachel Harrison, and uh, Dean, you wrote a feature, and we're going to try and link them together as best we can. Um, y- your feature was entitled The Artist as Artist, which is a curious title. I don't know if it was your own title. Um, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, well, what we're going to do is start with a review, and then we'll link it across, if we can, to your feature and carry on, and we'll probably talk about both of them, perhaps. But... Um, I wanted just to say um, right, um, that, uh, Ch- sorry, Cherry, you write about um, Rachel's work, and I'm quite interested in the quote you used from Gertrude Stein at the beginning, um, which I'll just read a little bit of. You say, nothing changes, well, sorry, Gertrude Stein said, nothing changes from generation to generation except the thing seen, and that makes a composition. You, um, can you just go on from there, what, what you said in the review, a bit more about why you use that quote? I thought it was just amazing the way she uses syntax to break up our expectation of how to talk about art, like what is comp- com- composition. And really, Rachel Harrison is saying, you know, what makes art new is the way that you, if you like, um, deconstruct or diffuse systems of display. And uh I think she's just playing on that edge between, you know, what makes it contemporary and what makes it become classical. And Gertrude Stein's saying, you know, all the best modern artists are only ever kind of um, seen as acceptable or even interesting when they're dead. Um, And I love that Rachel Harrison is playing with that idea of can she already kind of um, anticipate this idea of what is classical and what is acceptable by breaking down those those systems. Right. You, you mentioned um, she uses plinths um, in some but quite unusual way. Could you, can you tell us a bit more about that, how, what she actually does? Yeah, well, if you think about what a plinth is there for, it's, it's there to give uh, an object status or uh, also create this no-touch, no-go zone around it. And so what she does is create these very clumpy, quite sometimes quite ugly, amorphous block sculptures that she says, well, is this a plinth or can it knock into a plinth or can it um, does it need a plinth or can it, um, you know, be supported on tins of food that become a plinth? And so it really makes you look at those conventions that are meant to be invisible and neutral. And and that's what's interesting about Rachel's work. When you see it at first, um, you think, wow, here's sort of some mad sculpture that's, you know, gone through some sort of washing machine and come out with, and it's kind of trapped these things from supermarkets along the way. And it's really exciting work. And it's it sort of makes you think about the context of the hang and, you know, putting these low cultural objects uh, say like a bicycle or a display unit next to what's seen as high culture, a beautiful marble plinth or indeed her sculpture and saying, you know, where's the worth? What's the spectacle here? Does it, um, is it kind of work that doesn't really last after it's been exhibited? Do you, I mean, is it like an installation um, 
you know, rather than being sculpture? Or does he actually make it so it's quite um, unified and, and, you know, you can pick it up and put it in the crate and take it away carefully? I mean, I presume she it's the latter, but I don't know. She plays in the whole idea of creating up work. I mean, most artists' work is created up. And one of her crates actually says Martha Rosler on it. Oh, really? And, and so she's also referencing other artists in, in the work in quite a funny way. But, yeah, I think her work... In this piece, she's got a sort of altar of crates and plinths taken from other London museums. And I think the whole idea of fashion and failure and what makes something last is is something she's playing with. I mean, obviously, the Richard Pryor work references the comedian. But in, you know, a couple of decades, will it stand as something just quite interesting because you've got a black block figure holding a little monkey a little carved wooden monkey with its, you know, speak no evil, you know, its mouth covered. Um, So, you know, maybe she's looking at kind of how pointless celebrity is really and how ephemeral it is. And maybe she is saying, yeah, this work is ephemeral and um, I don't want it to be created. Maybe she's questioning what becomes of this sort of work. Just just to question that slightly, do you think that she is making out that she's doing what you're saying but actually you can't escape the fact that actually she is you know a well-known american artist who shows lots and sells lots and and it's all you know how cheeky can i be and get away with but still actually make a yeah. strong living being and not and also doesn't necessarily sorry i'm rambling on a bit doesn't actually undermine the museum or the gallery system in any way really I sort of felt I saw her work before at the Saatchi and also the new museum and I thought actually in isolation her work was much more challenging I think when she creates the context and the rules somehow it became a little bit polite I wanted it to take apart the walls of the White Chapel a bit more. I mean, she covered the door with newspaper. And so some people didn't know that was the show, so they didn't know to go in. But it felt like um, it could have been more disruptive. It could have had a much more, you know, spilling out into the foyer or into the stairs. It it felt like she had been a little bit contained, perhaps, yeah. there. Which, which, I mean, is not surprising that, artists are contained by all kinds of things like fire <laughs> regulations and, and administrators who've got to lock the doors at the end of the day and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it is inevitably... I mean, I'm not saying that it's easy to do what I was suggesting she might, but it, I, it, to me, there's maybe a slight disappointment in in the... You know, the, the, the it, it's all intention rather than su- maybe succeeding. I don't know. Anyway, but I, it's nice. I haven't actually... That's probably the first thing I've ever said which sounded mildly critical of any artist on this show. <laughs> um, now, listen, let's just try and make this little leap to Dean's feature. Um, I mean, I was thinking partly by mentioning this relationship to the institution and how much you can or cannot kick at it. In your, in your feature, you do talk about um, artists, Dean, that are... Probably, I mean, they're, they're in the public realm, you're saying, so they're not in a gallery situation, I assume. I mean, am I right in, in, in assuming that? When you say you, yeah. t- you mentioned the public realm, you mentioned quite a few writers at the beginning, which would be nice to, 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 to sort of start off with, perhaps. But Yeah, I, suppose, I mean, uh, to give some kind of context to the piece, I suppose it's coming out of um, the kind of discourse around uh, relational, collaborative, participatory, so on, kind of work which assumes um, a certain kind of social function 
right um, through art. And a lot of a lot of these um, debates have been influenced by um, kind of philosophies, political philosophies of the public realm. Um, Hannah Arendt, and um, more recently, people like uh, Agamben and um, Jean-Luc Nancy. Yeah, when did Hannah Arendt write, by the way? Um, Do you know? Is it, I mean, it's the 60s or something. Yeah, The Human Condition. I, I'm a- a- actually not quite sure. Yeah, don't worry, that's fine. But, 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 and then followed on later by the by Ag- um, Agamben. Is that right? Well, Agamben wrote a book called um, The Coming Community, right? which is uh, something of a, a, a kind of response to... Jean-Luc Nancy, uh, his book was written in the early 80s and uh, Blanchot wrote a, a kind of follow-on to that. Right. It was, uh, these were really um, way, um, I suppose, you know, before the collapse of the Soviet Union, there were ways of reimagining what um, communism could be, really. Right. Um, a kind of reclaiming of that term. Um, the big thing there being that how do we... How do we move from from this kind of competitive individualism, this idea that we're all just kind of atoms in society, without ending up with something like the, um, uh, the kind of Soviet system, yes. um, where what happens is is I suppose something like commonality becomes essentialized, yes, um, and associated with a kind of common identity. So it's 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 how to I suppose. Um, you know, re re-envision, a kind of communal notion um, against the kind of privatised realm yeah. without falling back into this essentialism. Yeah, so it's, a bal- it's quite a delicate balance you're talking about just achieving, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And the, the key there is really um, the idea of um, community really beginning with a singular individual and a notion of the, 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 the kind of particularity of a person and um, really this person kind of facing outwards. This is the beginning of uh, sharing. It's the beginning of a notion that we have things in common. It's always the individual looking, looking outwards and exposure. Um, exposing I, themselves and ex- vul- vulnerability. Exactly, with all the kind of connotations that go with exposure. Um, you mentioned just, just one kind of the opposite of this in a sense mm-hmm. as in an artist that a type of artist that does exist and you you talk about um somebody who perhaps is um an artist boss i mean i mean i have to say i did think of um, someone like liam gillick the idea that there's <laughs> somebody who goes around and they are very important as an individual but th- that, and they're but they're like i know their name really well yeah. but it's somehow almost more than the work and and they're not I'm, I mean, I'm not actually qu- saying he's a bad artist, but there's a definite difference between him and the person, kind of artist you're talking about. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I didn't deliberately didn't. No, you didn't name names. him. I know, um, I know, I know. Sorry. Partly, it's uh, <laughs> partly I wanted to look at. I, I actually wanted to talk about some some uh, a different kind of case of artists, really. But yeah, yeah, you're, you're, yeah. You're, no, I wasn't trying to get you to talk about Liam. But no, it's okay. You're absolutely but, right. I was, I did mean Liam. Good. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, um, I mean. I suppose I suppose the 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 kind of uh, paradox, if you if you want to um, look at it this way, that I, I was kind of the, the, the impetus for this was these notions of the so socially orientated art, and at the same time uh, a very very competitive um, environment, which art now is, um, which is very much to do with status and power. Um, so I do mention the 
yeah, the the artist boss. I'm really kind of, I suppose, being quite extreme sure. in a sense, deliberately. Uh, Miwon Kwon has talked about the artist director, uh, the artist manager. Right. Um, where it's about the, these kind of relational artists, I guess, who don't necessarily make a finished art object, a product. Um, but she says that this doesn't mean that the 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 artist isn't still central as a kind of author. But what's replaced the object is this kind of absent um, and this kind of absent um, artist who still, of course, accrues the the the, uh, the capital uh, through their name and so on. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 kind of trying to trying to take the opposite case really and say well. If that is a if that absence is somehow a kind of manifestation of these notions of status and power, then can we think of appearance, the artist appearing, and specifically the artist appearing as an artist? Right. Um, is that a way to? And it seemed to me there was a link there um, with these kind of political theories of the the exposure and so on. Right. I mean, you you use um examples of particularly say David Collins um, doing a performance piece I mean but they were, they were he was placed with Emma Hart am I right in, in a school as artists I mean so they were they went out of the gallery into a, a different kind of institution but still institution interestingly enough but, but and then did something which perhaps wasn't um, it wasn't apparent that he was an artist I mean there's a picture here in the mag we have of him doing a piece called fabric where he seems to be chipping away at the ground getting bubblegum off the floor yeah it was um it was fairly kind of disgusting actually he, was, he, he went around the uh, the school uh, chipping bits of dried up gum from under tables under desks under chairs They're stuck by naughty and children had, uh, <laughs> exactly o over over decades actually yes probably some of mine i should think <laughs> um and uh, collected little specimen bags of these things and then meticulously put these together to make a brick. And the brick was made over the course of the three-week exhibition. So he was, he was present, he was, he was um, appearing before the show, kind of collecting the material for the show. And then he was appearing um, in the gallery during the show um, and was there for, for um, people to talk to as well. And he did have a lot of conversations with, with people from did, within the school. Did he say, when he was going around initially, mm. before the ex exhibition started, was he wearing something that said artist on him, or was he in incognito? No, he, he was wearing overalls, which were kind of practical, kind of functional, really. So they wouldn't he, have necessarily known he was an artist unless he'd spoken to them and said he was. Well, he had to negotiate with the, with the you know, the, the caretakers and so on, really. So he was kind of taken under their sure. wing. Um, I mean, no, you, you know, it's, it's quite a... It's a very bureaucratic place, actually, a secondary school, I'm to, sure. to do anything in terms of art. I couldn't wait to get out. <laughs> um, exactly. And it's, it was a kind of weird experience going back. And actually, because I was involved with the curating the first exhibition right which was essentially kind of setting up the the, the gallery and waiting outside the headmaster's room sort of <laughs> meeting with him yeah it's quite it's quite, quite uncomfortable you know yeah yeah and what about what about emma hart what um well emma did um a piece um in uh, hang on. <laughs> um another school in hampstead actually that's right. Um, and this was set up through the Camden Arts Centre 
kind of education um, department. I mean, I'm, uh, part of this is my interest in the fact that this has become a big place now where artists actually operate because of the stipulations of publicly funded galleries. To, yes, have, to have an educational exactly, element, yes. Exactly, yes. And, and, how this, and how this is treated, really. Yeah, and artists, by the sound of it, are trying to make it more interesting than it might be. Um, so, my, I mean, yeah, Emma Hart uh, went in there and she kind of set up a kind of uh, her own department. This was her way of dealing with the institution, was to become institutionalised in a way. Uh, this would give her visibility. But w what's important, I think, about Emma's work and also David's work is the fact that they were um, they were working they were making work within the school. They weren't bringing kind of pre-made work into school um, or they weren't working on account of them being artists and then they could um, do workshops or something like this. Yep. So this, I suppose this is, this is kind of what I'm trying to get to in the sense of um, being a kind of challenge to these notions of status and power. These artists are not they're not presupposed as artists. They're not predefined as artists. They become artists through their activity in a place like a school. Whereas if, it, if the work was in a gallery, obviously these things are all predetermined already. Uh, the artist can yes. be absent and yes. so on. Yes. Um, th this, is th this is what I mean by the artist, the, an artist as an artist. So these are people who are, they're not, predefined as an artist as Liam Gillick might be if he appears on the yep. front cover of um, Art Modern Review Painter, Art, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or something but um, they they can operate as artists in the in these more I, I suppose social environments um, you, you mentioned that um, Hart's work shares a non predetermined openness that can come as a consequence of being present in the presence of others, I mean, it's, it's, I have to say it's quite, it's quite difficult um, ideas. These, I mean, in, in terms of why it might be more different to say just being a person in the world. Mm -hmm. Like, what are they? What, what does she do when she's in the school? We, I know there's a thing where she had some sort of voice. Mike she had a microphone and, and her voice was recorded, and, it, and the speech went up on as text on the screen. But the children also could make it. What, what, yeah, was, that, what was that about? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I should explain. Um, so I, if David Collins was acting in some way as a kind of caretaker role, yep. um, then Emma Hart was taking on the teaching role in some ways without becoming a teacher. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, she was operating in the classroom. She talked about the, the classroom as a site of production. What do you do in this classroom? And especially what do you do in an art school classroom that completely gets away from those pre you know, uh, kind of predetermined notions of what an art The still life is. on the table. Exactly, the kind of stuff that you, you, you can remember from when you were there, the kind of clay and uh, po poster paints and, exactly. that, and that kind of stuff. Um, so she was, she was using um, these, the, the kind of technology, especially the kind of new technology that is available in, in, in schools, and one of these is a voice recognition software. But also every performance, she did four performances, so everyone was coming out of her experience of the last one and right. this is a kind of important yeah. factor in that sense that she's not bringing a kind of predetermined notion she's working she's reacting she's to. reacting to and this is a this is an important kind of point i suppose about a certain idea of quality in 
the public realm. Um, you know, it's not about everyone participating in that kind of way that you you know you you, you kind of pick up a ping pong ball in the gallery or something like this. It's it's um, her the the voice recognition software meant that she went into the classroom and didn't actually speak uh, in front of this kind of class right. of twelve year olds. And this was um, this was kind of interesting because this this came out of her um, experience of being in the previous class and having to raise her voice and not wanting to do that teacher thing no. where you have to raise your voice to be heard, you know. Mm. So she was completely silent. And that actually got the class... Quiet. Completely quiet. <laughs> it was right? shocked. Like a miracle. <laughs> um, and then she, when somebody spoke, she'd repeat it and it would appear up on the, uh, the whiteboard. Thing. Right. So she um, said back to them what they'd said to her. She said back to them what they'd said. And it was, uh, it was actually a, a, a more like a voice misrecognition thing because it's quite... Yeah, they don't always work, do they? It no, do, it doesn't. Fifty <laughs> percent. But something. it became quite playful. Exactly, and of course, she had no idea what to, um, you know, what exactly was going to happen, and it, it being a class. Yes. Um, yes. The kind of kids cottoned on to what was going on and started saying rude words and uh, Great. making comments about other people and stuff. So yeah. she, her being put in that awkward position is, I think, part of what I mean by well, exposing. Exposure. She exposed. Yeah, I understand uh-huh. you better now. Cherry, just to bring you in, have you done um, residences as a, as a po- because you're a poet, and, and, and have you, or, and you're also a critic, are you, you were a resident as a critic, were you not on some of them? I mean, have you, have you had experience of out of the gallery with an audience? I mean, as a poet, you presumably, you read things and you, and you have to relate, I mean, there must be a reaction to the... Well, what uh, Dean's article made me think of is actually a poet in residence in a women's prison. And, you know, it was it was very confounding to keep kind of thinking about what text meant to me and what it clearly meant to them and the, the divide. And what I felt all the time was really it's about, you know, exposing the students or, you know, the, the, the community that you're working with to ideas of thinking. How do you think? How do you begin to risk a thought and it seems to me that education really tries to stop people you know having independent thoughts they're just meant to you know answer things you know and they know what they're meant to say and this sort of permission just the permission to say you know this is what a poet could look like and be and this is what an artist does and that to me is so much more radical and interesting than relational work where artists just invite their friends around to the gallery to have a meal I mean who cares yes you know this sort of old-fashioned engagement is so much more exciting you know we were talking earlier about the sanitation project that um Lederman New Kelly's did you know shaking hands with all the the bin men and women in New York City and you know I just think this I, I really love that idea of really questioning who is enriching who is it just an ego trip is it self-aggrandizing or is it actually you know, going back to an, an earlier idea of what is education and what is art. And I think we all have to keep asking ourselves these questions. Yeah, you but know. by getting out of the gallery into these Absolutely. situations, you are forced as an artist, to, because you're not from the school, you, so exactly. it's new, new for you yeah. and you're new for them. Yeah. If you can come up with some way of uh, of not just becoming the stereotype that you you think you might be expected to be. I yeah, mean, it's, I mean it's interesting because David Collins is at he he teaches art at Worm and Scrubs prison. Oh, oh really? And he, um, he, I mean, he always has a terrible time with the the kind of um, the, the kind of you know institution that yeah. is the prison yeah. actually. Um, but 
you know, it, 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 uh, I think his experience obviously kind of lends him something. Um, uh, I should also mention uh, um, the guy who set up the, the Portman Gallery, someone called Andrew Keeper. That's the one in the school? He, in the school, in the, this is in Morpeth School in Bethnal Green. Yeah. And he, um, he's worked there as a teacher for 15 years and uh, he's also an artist. Um, but I think these, the, the, something, like this, something like working as a teacher in a school is so, seems so foreign to a lot of um, artists working, um, not in the school, that there's a kind of, there's, no, there's often a lack of communication, I think, and I'm sure. I think this is important as well. Yeah, I mean, I'd be terrified to go back to school, really, mm. I mean, for the obvious reasons, but also it would just be because it would be alien, really, mm. as a place to work. I know another artist recently, Margareta Kern, she did a residency in a university and she wore a white boiler suit that said guest. And she's the daughter of a guest worker, Yugoslavian guest worker who worked in Germany. And she thought she would make all these links with these students from other countries. And they more or less ignored her. <laughs> and she ended up making links with the, the postal workers and the canteen workers and the lab workers. And so it became like what goes on behind the scenes in the institution. And that was a complete surprise to her. She, it wasn't an intellectual exchange that she thought she was going to have. Right. So she had to drop her own preconceptions. Yeah. Well, good for her for doing that, though. I mean, exactly. I mean, yeah. that, that's the challenge, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, listen, I think we're very near the end of the programme now. I've got a couple of minutes to go, but oh, I'm sorry, I sh- I've probably done it slightly early. I'll take this opportunity to say that you are listening to Art Monthly's programme on Residence Radio, and there's a subscription offer we do, which is 30% off our standard rate, and we'd love you all to do it. If you just email subs at artmonthly.co.uk, you can take advantage of that. Um, the next programme will be the same time as this, but in a month's time. Thank you both very much for coming in. I'm sorry to cut it a little bit short, that we can always go on longer than we have. That's Cherry Smith and Dean Kenning, both joining me today. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. Thanks.